0: Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast brought to you by Open Banking Expo I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast, and I'm your host as usual. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Siamak Reza Zadeh, who is the Director of Product Marketing at GoCardless, which is an online payment processing solution. We've actually had Siamak's uh, colleague, Duncan Barragan, from GoCardless on the podcast before, uh, so, today, CMAC joins me to talk a little bit more about uh, his role there, but, but mainly about something that is obviously a really important topic at the moment, and that is the issue of fraud. Um, CMAC is, is going to pull on a little bit of research that GoCardless has, has d- conducted recently on this issue. But look, we've got loads to talk about, so uh, let's get straight into it. Welcome to the podcast, CMAC.
1: Great to be here, Ellie. Uh, very happy to, to talk through these things with you.
0: Great. Well, um, as I mentioned, to start with, we normally like to uh, find out from our guests a little bit about their own background and, and their current roles. So um, when did you join GoCardless as director of product marketing and, and what does your role involve exactly?
1: Sure. Um, so I actually joined GoCardless about five, five and a half years ago. Um, we were a much smaller company then, I think, I, well, I joined when we were about 100 people or so, um, had about 20,000 customers. Um, so, you know, in the stage of kind of getting established, um, I actually joined in a slightly different role. I, I was joined as uh, one of our kind of early stage salespeople um, and ended up having lots and lots of conversations with, you know, larger businesses around, around the world, trying to establish what the go cartless value proposition would be for those larger businesses. And in doing so, I ended up identifying lots of the pain points that they had, lots of the value that they might get out of GoCardless and the best way to kind of understand what it was that they needed. ended up um, using that kind of knowledge and, and uh, information to, to uh, move into the product marketing world about three years ago. Um um, and built the the team array right, to effectively focus on three kind of areas of 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 uh, of the value chain. So number one is how do we listen to the market to understand what the pains of our customers are. Number two, it's how do we uh, understand what's the best way to roll out new products and features? And then number three is how do we help our customers understand what value they're getting out of go cardless and, and in particular understand what the value is of go cardless versus some of the other ways that they might choose to, to collect their payments so um, that's kind of how, we, how how I think about product marketing uh, at go cardless uh, and yeah it's been a, a, a an awesome ride over the last over the last five years or so uh, and the next and, you know super really looking forward to the next three four years as well
0: great to hear. What was your experience in payments then before joining GoCardless?
1: So I spent about seven years before GoCardless working at a mobile payments and mobile messaging company. Um, So not directly in the same payment space as as GoCardless, but definitely in that kind of alternative payment space, right? So think about um, how do you collect payment or how do you pay for something with your mobile phone? Right. So how do you use your mobile phone bill as a, as an instrument to, to actually pay, which is, you know, hugely popular in, in countries around the world. Um, and, and you know, it's popular still in the, in the UK and in certain, certain industries and certain places as well. Um, so that was kind of my kind of first exposure to, to payments. That was kind of back in 2008 to 2015 sort of period. Um, and, you know, I learned an incredible amount about, what people really care about when it comes to payments, what you know, payers care about, what consumers care about, what, what businesses care about, but also kind of what some of the some of the limitations of payment systems were. Right. So um, how long it might take to get paid or um, how 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 kind of uncertain some payments were. Right. So you might think you've been paid but then, but then somehow down the line, that's undone in some way through some technical process or what the risks of fraud were and chargebacks were and so on. So that was kind of my first experience and, and working in a, you know, a very different kind of payment space. Um, you get a lot of exposure to the intricacies because you're really trying to focus on, you know, marginal improvements or, or larger improvements in, in certain areas.
0: Well, I guess then that brings us on nicely to um, our conversation today and, and, um, and the issue of fraud, um, perhaps you can start by telling me um, kind of what the size of, of the problem is here in, in the UK. So we hear, I guess we hear uh, or read rather a lot of headlines about um, consumers that have been the targets of, of fraud. But I think sometimes it's, it's difficult, isn't it, for people to actually understand how big is this issue? Who does it affect and why kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. So there's, 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 First of all, I think the the thing that we often think about at Go Card list is that there are lots of different types of fraud, right? Uh, and we primarily focus on 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 payment fraud, um, but I think it's important to recognise that even within payment fraud, there's lots of different types of fraud available uh, or, or that happen, right? So we typically bucket that into three different types, and and the first thing to think about is that there are, yeah, these three different types are, are quite different in terms of. Um, who might perpetrate them, what the impact might be and, and how you deal with them. So The first one that, uh, we think about is what we call uh, is identity fraud, right? So people using stolen or um, incorrect bank details or payment in- payment details to try and buy a service, right? Um, and, you know, that's kind of easy for people to get their head- heads around, right? Because it's, you know, that the whole idea of you know, oh, I've lost my card, so I might use it to buy something. Is something that that we're all kind of quite aware of, and it's a it's a it's a really big part of fraud. Um, and if, but in fact, that you know, lots of people don't still don't always realize quite how big and quite how important that 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 area could be, or, or quite how easy it is to use stolen payment instruments to to buy things. Right. So I always think back. I think it was back in like two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, uh, which is a long time ago now. <laughs> Um, I always think about the uh, the uh, broadcaster Jeremy Clarkson. Um, I, I believe he he printed his bank details in a in an article in the Sun, um, and basically saying like this whole um, uh, uproar or furore around um, you know fraud is is a nonsense. You know, people can't do anything with bank details. Here, here's mine. See if you can do something with them. And obviously, the next thing that everybody did is is you know people took those bank details and signed him up to numerous charity donation direct debits. Right, so. Um, and the idea is that, you know, with a lot of payment instruments, um, you, there is very little that stops people actually using them uh, if they have hold of them, right? And Jeremy Clarkson was, was a somewhat amusing uh, victim of, of that in, in, in that time. Um, so that's kind of identity fraud. And the question is, you know, how do you then stop identity fraud and so on? The, the second area is, um, is what we think of as kind of being no intent to pay fraud, right? So um, you might be using perfectly legitimate. Bank details or card details to pay for something, but you know that that account has no money in it, and you've got no, in, you've got no, um, no intent to actually use them to 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 pay for the pay for something legitimately. Um, so, as an example, you might have a card that's attached to, you know, a, a bank account that you've just really used the top ups and so on. Um, and, you know, you know, there's no money in it, you can use that card to sign up for a subscription service. No one checks whether you've actually got any money in it. And, you know, th- when the first per- payment is attempted to be collected, uh, you know, let's say a couple of weeks down the line, um, there's no there's no money in the account, and you've got free access to something for for a couple of weeks. Uh, and the third area is we think about is kind of being chargeback fraud, right? So these are legitimate people buying your service, paying for your service, but then charging it back. Um, and, you know, it's a very, again, very different type of fraud. So across the different types of fraud, we've got very different types of people, you know, maybe in the first, first set, you've got, um, you know, bad actors who are using stolen information. In the last one, you've got, you know, people who are, look like legitimate customers, but after they've consumed your service, after they've even paid for it, they kind of, you know, fraudulently charge it back. Um, and so you can think about like, even within those three, you've got very different kind of dynamics and very different sizes. And typically when we look at the companies that we work with, um, or in fact, you know, we, we do a lot of research talking to customers that customers that we work with, you know, customers, people that we don't work with. And we typically see, and just to kind of give you the scale of the problem, about one and a half percent of their overall revenue um, is lost to fraud. Um, and that's fraud, but that's fraud that they genuinely know about, things that they identify as definitely being fraud, about 1.5% of their total revenue is, is lost to fraud. And obviously, you know, some industries are slightly higher, some industries, some industries are slightly lower. Um, but then if you think of, if you can kind of dig under the under the hood a little bit more, um, when you take into account fraud that they don't quite understand, um, or fraud that they don't, they don't see as being fraud right now, but um, is actually fraud. Um, and then if you take into account all of their costs, that they spend actually dealing with fraud, that number kind of gets much, much closer to you know five or six percent, right? So if you think about that, even on its own, one and a half percent is what they recognize when when the total cost of fraud is taken into account. It's much closer to five percent, which is obviously you know a significant part of you know company revenue. Um, and and it's 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 uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. and you know businesses recognize that it's a big problem as well. Um, you know, so we talk to you know businesses all the time, like I said, and something like, well well over half i think it's about 54% of merchants actually feel that fraud is a top threat to their business um right so if you think about all the things that they're focusing on typically um fraud is in the top 3 if not the top 1 um thing that they're that that they're thinking about when it comes to collecting their revenue and yet only about a uh, and yet only, and about a third have nothing in place to even think about how do we stop fraud or, or deal with fraud in, something, in some way. So recognising recognizing that it's costing the money, recognising that it's a threat, and then you get a third kind of just kind of don't even know where to start dealing with it, uh, which I always think is is a super interesting um, place to be in.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's some interesting stats there. And I think it, it really paints a picture of, of not only the scale of the issue, but I guess um, how... Um, businesses and merchants are kind of um, prioritizing it or indeed not prioritizing it so I know that that go cardless recently conducted some, some research on on fraud um, I guess some of that is, is what you were you were mentioning there were there any kind of findings from that that either were a surprise or or that um, made you think that perhaps this is an issue that isn't being taken as seriously as it needs to be maybe:
1: so I think the, the, the to answer maybe your, your latter question first in terms of things not being taken seriously I think you know I, th- I think people do take it seriously in the sense that as I said you know more than half of businesses recognize it as a threat um, but I think the bit that was surprising for me is that you know a, a third don't actually have anything in place to deal with it that doesn't mean that they don't have anything in place Uh, It's not just that they don't have systems or tools to stop fraud, but just have nothing in place to deal with even the outcomes of fraud. So I think that was the the first bit that surprised me. Um, The second thing that I think really did surprise me as well is the the, the degree to which businesses are willing to accept a drop in their kind of conversion rate or their ability to acquire customers in order to prevent fraud. Um, So I think we saw something like an 8 or 9% um, drop in kind of conversion rates at checkout is something that businesses are willing to take in order to you know, ensure that they they, they reduce their fraud, which I think is quite surprising uh, because typically, uh, you know, you might think, well, if your, you know, if your kind of costs, uh, if, you know, your upside revenue out, outweighs the costs, then, then, you know, why not just go for it and accept a certain amount of fraud? But I think that uh, more and more merchants are starting to see, actually, I'll take a drop in conversion if it means I'm, I don't have to deal with that you know five six percent drop overall loss in revenue as a result of dealing with fraud, which I think is encouraging um and uh, I think I think is a, it shows that people are willing to accept um or are, are, are willing to take it seriously
0: yeah and I guess as you mentioned there you kind of pointed out the fact that I guess there are a couple of ways of of addressing fraud one is is a is to have kind of more reactive systems in place that that deal with fraud when it does happen and then I guess there's also the solutions that are a bit more proactive that try to prevent instances of fraud in the first place. So can you explain a bit more about how those two fit together? Because presumably, most merchants and businesses would be wise to have kind of both types of systems in, in, in place, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think you, you do need both. Um, and ultimately, the how successful you are is always going to be a kind of a, a trade off between both your ability to proactively um, prevent fraud, your willingness to accept risk of fraudulent payers coming into your, into your business or into your service, um, and then your ability to kind of deal with those things uh, after the fact, right? Um, and they're all very, very interconnected. Um, and a lot of it depends on your, on your risk appetite, right? So you think about some of those kind of pre- proactive measures. Um, you know, there's, there's, a lot, there's lots of things you can do to kind of reduce fraud really proactively. Um, as an example, right, if you have, a, if you have an online Checkout and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of asking people to either sign up to your service online or buy things online. You could pretty much reduce fraud to zero. If what you did is at checkout, you said, okay, you know, put in your credit card details. Okay. That's brilliant. Um, now, you know, drive over to the CEO's house, show them your passport in person with your card. And and you know a latest utility bill with your home address on it. Um, we we could check it all manually. We tick all the tick everything off, and then you could go back, drive home, and click you know continue on on the website. You, I, you fraud there would drop to you know pretty pretty astronomically low levels, right? But at the same time, um, your conversion rate would also tank entirely, right? So the um, on the proactive measures, the the job is to try and find a an, a suitable way of. Of, of um, enabling people to verify ownership of their bank accounts or of their car details or of the wallet that they're using in such a way that it doesn't completely turn people off from going through the service right? So uh this is where you know these proactive measures have some you know really, really interesting ways of, of, for example, using open banking to you know, you put in your bank details, you then kind of verify ownership of those bank accounts, of that bank account via open banking, you know, you kind of you know, use your fingerprint verification to authorize on your mobile app, for example, uh, and that authorizes that you, you own those bank details. You know, that's a, that's a great way of, it's a great proactive mechanism to demonstrate that you clearly own the account that you're saying you own. But again, even there, you're still looking at, you know, if you put 100% of people through that process, some percentage are going to go, oh, I, you know, can't be bothered to do that or um or i'm you know maybe the connection drops at some point or every single time you add steps you add friction you're losing some percentage of the people going through those steps so the so the so the even so that's kind of like a blunt instrument right Tell, telling everybody to verify their accounts it's better than asking everybody to drive over to the ceo's house with their passport but uh um, it's still it's still kind of some friction right um so the next level of kind of proactive measures is okay well how do you figure out who to apply those measures to uh, and can you say I'm only going to ask people who I think might be risky to verify that they that they own those payment details, for example. So, um, you know, instead of asking 100% of people to do that, maybe it's only 20% of people, 30% of people, because there's some signal in how they've kind of got to your website, for example, that shows not that they're definitely fraudulent, but that they might be fraudulent. Um, and that then the question then becomes, um, how do you, what's your risk appetite to say, right, I think I'm... Uh, I I want to put twenty percent of people through, or thirty percent of people, or five percent of people. And you know, if you put five percent of people through, you, you're probably going to miss more than if you put thirty percent of people through. For example, so that's on the and, and and that's on the kind of the proactive side. So what that's really about is having the tools available such that you can verify uh, ownership of accounts, um, but then also predict who you should apply that verification to. And then number three, really understanding what level of risk you, you want to take on yourself sort of thing. Um, and then on, on the reactive side, you know, there's there's some you know, really interesting things that, you know, people do. Um, so first of all, uh, you know, you can just deal with fraud as and when it comes up um, and if you can spot it. So, you know, companies spend lots of money on lots of people, you know, just monitor look, looking at accounts, uh, looking at chargebacks that they get and seeing if they can, you know, seeing if they're legitimate chargebacks, for example, monitoring and making sure that, you know, if payment if a payment isn't coming out of an account, why is it not coming out of that account? Should we be should we continue the service? You know, you can throw people at this problem, uh, but all of a sudden that quickly stacks up and becomes very, very, very expensive, um, and actually quite ineffective because um, you know humans are quite are often you know good at pattern matching in some states, in in some examples, but not not as good as um, as you know many tools are at doing that as well, um, and so. You know, what what's starting to come out now is kind of more reactive tools that continue to monitor who's using your account, um, what bank details are using your account. Are they are there multiple bank details on different accounts? Is the same bank detail. Or the same kind of card detail on, you know, five or six different accounts registered to fifteen or twenty different houses um, or or, or addresses, and you you start to kind of pattern match and and uh, and look at look at fraud at that point as well. So I think the combination of proactive is, is 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 proactive and reactive is is really important.
0: Yeah, and interesting to go back then to when when you mentioned earlier about the research and the fact that you know there was a third of those respondents that that perhaps didn't really. Did you say they didn't really consider fraud particularly a priority or they weren't particularly doing anything about it? Is that because they haven't been affected by it? And actually, those businesses and merchants that have obviously then go on to to prioritise it and perhaps put in those types of, of proactive systems that you've just talked about?
1: I mean, it, it's possible. Um, I think... To a degree, what you're saying might might be true, but I think it's really a perceived to have not been affected by fraud. Is is really the the, the little nuance there? Um, so uh, you know, I, I won't I won't you know give any particular names, um, but you know, I've been in kind of conversations with uh, a, a decent sized number of merchants right now where you know, at GoCardless we process. Lots of their payments already, um, and you know we've been in a conversation where we said, okay, well, how do you think about fraud in your business today? Um, and you know they might say, well, we don't really, we don't really suffer from any fraud. Um, and then you know we've you know run their numbers through our kind of machine learning algorithms that predict if there's any fraud, and shown them like, well, no, that's fraudulent, that's fraudulent, that's fraudulent. Um, to the extent where we've you know we've actually shown people, well, if you don't suffer from fraud, um, why is this one? Uh, you know payment at uh, one bank account for example being used for over 60 different accounts across the country for 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 your service um, and all of a sudden you see the kind of the, the people's you know face go white and they're kind of the penny drops for a second that you didn't think you're experiencing fraud but actually you have a quite a high amount of fraud on your, on your system at the moment so I think that's probably more it it's it's not that people aren't experiencing fraud of course there's going to be some services that don't experience any fraud, right? Um, but uh, I think in many cases, it's it's that people don't see the fraud um, and, or aren't looking out for it. Um, and I think that's that's where the kind of monitoring kind of needs to be needs to be part of any solution.
0: Yeah. And I guess I'm interested to hear from you, CMAC, on what you think are the implications for the payments industry, um, for its kind of wider reputation, if you like, if if it kind of, fails to tackle the issue of fraud and, and, and really step up to the plate here because um, obviously it has the potential to, to kind of wreck people's lives, consumers' lives, doesn't it? So um, yeah, what, what do you see as the implications there?
1: When we talk to uh, consumers about what are, the, what are the main things they think about when they, when they want to make a payment in terms of what payment method they choose or whether they actually do make a payment for a service, um, typically they, 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 they talk about, about three things. Um, the number one thing that they, and it kind of varies in the order, but they, they talk about, is this really easy to use? Um, you know, is this, is, is, is it something that, I, that I can, that I can use and doesn't ask me to, you know, drive to the CEO's house? Um, is number two, it's, um, is this, is this secure? Uh, and number three is, you know, can I trust this? Um, and you know, those two things are, are really important and come out come out quite a lot. And so, if we think about the kind of security and trust element, if that's what consumers are really caring about when they're picking a payment method, when they're deciding how they how they pay for something, then obviously, um, you know, tackling fraud, thinking about fraud um, has to be top of mind for businesses and payment providers and the whole payments industry um, because that's what's you know, in part defining whether somebody will or won't pay via a particular payment method. So I think it's hugely important um, on the payer side to get security and trust right. Uh, but then if you think about the interplay again with that, the other bit, which is ease of use. Um, so if payers, if payers are kind of prioritizing both security and ease of use, you have to get that balance of uh, balance right between Adding friction to, to lower the probability of fraud, but also making sure that it's not so extreme that no one can ever use your, your, use your service or payment method. So that interplay between those two things is super important. So I think that ultimately in order the implications for the payments industry and in, the, in and you know, frankly, you know, payments is the lifeblood of business, right? Um, so ultimately the, it's the implications for commerce. Is, is that interplay between ease of use, making it really magical for people to make payments uh, and buy your service and security. And you have to get both of those things right. And if you don't get them right, um, you know, people will, will leave in drones.
0: Yeah, well, um, there's a lot to think about there and and, um, and obviously some some positives uh, that Came out of your research and and you know what what you've been talking about that the businesses are implementing um, some of these kind of uh, proactive and reactive solutions. Um, what do you see? I mean, it's sort of, if I were to ask you in five years' time, will will fraud still be an issue? Then will it just have um, uh, kind of morphed and, and developed into uh, kind of new and different types of fraud? Is this something basically that you know the commerce industry and the payments industry kind of just has to uh, get get used to really.
1: I mean, I think I think when you have any system, um, there will all, you know it's almost human nature that there will be a certain number of people who try and beat or cheat the system, right? Uh, that's as true of um, exams, it's as true of you know sports as it is of of payments and commerce. Um, so. I think we're always going to have to live with a certain element of you know, cheats in the system um, who will try and take advantages and weaknesses in that system. Uh, it will, they will adapt and they will morph and they will you know, look for weaknesses in certain, certain things. Uh, and it's up to the uh, payments industry and businesses to kind of stay on top of those things. Um, and you know, businesses ultimately, you know, whilst, I, you know, whilst you say it's ultimately up to businesses to kind of stay on top of those things, I don't think anybody got, I don't think any accountant or any kind of company that makes a SaaS product or any gym or, you know, any small business really got into their business because they love thinking about fraud and love thinking about payments, right? They got into their business because they love the thing that they care about. Uh, and so whilst they need to remain vigilant, it's ultimately up to you know, the companies enabling those businesses to take payments to really kind of stay on top of the, the fraud issues. And so it's, you know, why, why companies like GoCardless are developing, uh, you know, we're a payments business, we're developing tools and products that help our, com- our, our customers deal with fraud both proactively and reactively. And I think in, you know, if you think about it in five years' time, um, yes, there will still be fraud. There will still be fraudsters out there um, and they will have developed new ways of thinking about and, and executing fraud. Um, and ultimately, um, it's on us and, and the wider industry to to stay ahead of that. And, and I think you know that's where you know new tools and systems kind of to kind of help with that, right? So we're we're consistently looking at at GoCardless how to develop our machine learning algorithms so we get smarter at stopping uh, at spotting fraudsters, um, so that we can then deploy the verification mechanisms on those individuals specifically, rather than you know to the to the public
0: at large. Well, Asiyamak, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, It's it's really great to hear from you. And uh, there's some really uh, key insights there. So thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: My thanks there to GoCardless's CMAC for joining me on the podcast to talk all about fraud and how open banking technology is helping to deliver some solutions to what is an increasingly sort of important issue, of course, Uh, and all about security and trust as well, two words that sort of go hand in hand with fraud. Uh, As always, you can listen back to some recent episodes of the Open Banking Expo Unplugged podcast on the On Demand section of the website. Until next time, goodbye for now.